Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is Jay Koss with the Weekly Standard. Jay, we are two weeks out of the election. You are the numbers maven, the polling guru, the Merlin. Never mind. You know who you are. Uh, tell <laughs> us and tell the Weekly Standard Podcast listeners, how is it looking right now if the vote were held today, would Republicans take a majority in the Senate? I think the answer to that question is they probably would. Uh, when we spoke last week, Michael, I talked about leakage, that the Republican Party seemed to have a problem with leakage, which is to say they were doing very well in many Democratic seats, but there were seats where they seemed to be struggling, and there were four in particular, Kentucky, Georgia, Kansas, and South Dakota. And I think that at this point, the Republicans look like they're in the catbird seat in three of those four states, Kentucky, uh, Kansas and South Dakota, it looks like the Republicans are not going to have major problems in any of those places. Well, let's talk about those real quickly. Kentucky, we see, I mean, Mitch McConnell, the fact is he's the Republican majority leader likely to become, or the Republican Senate leader likely to become the majority leader. His candidate, the running against him, uh, she's obviously had major missteps. We can see that one, even if you're not following polls that closely. But what happened in South Dakota? I mean, for a while there, Democrats were all, all but gloating that this thing was going to be the, tur the turnaround for them. What has happened in South Dakota? Well, it's not so much what has happened, but what hasn't happened. I mean, there was a poll that came out last week that showed Rounds was still ahead and close to 40%, which is about what he needs to be. And then, you know, I think that the Democrats had great hope that if they couldn't get their guy Rick Wyland in, they could at least maybe get Larry Pressler in. But, you know, since Pressler sort of started to emerge as maybe an actual contender. There have been stories of coming out that he's really a creature of Washington and he's on the left and et cetera, et cetera. And just this sort of the rumors and word on the street, the general consensus I think now is that South Dakota was mostly just a head fake all along, that it doesn't look like there's going to be an enormous um, follow-up from the Democrats up there. And what about Kansas, where Pat Roberts is about as inspiring as Mr. Rogers taking a nap? Is he going to... Well, you know, it's funny you mention that, because this has actually sort of lit a fire under Roberts, and he's actually been running a very solid campaign, very aggressive, and the party has been coming in and, and trying to, you know, mobilize the the electorate there you know they're bringing in people like Ted Cruz and they they brought John McCain Mitt Romney's coming in because look Kansas is a state that is a basically 50% Republican 30% Democrat 20% independent um, so all you need really are the Republican voters to win um, and so that's what they're doing and you know there was a poll yesterday that came out from Monmouth University that showed a tie which is an enormous improvement over just two weeks ago but even that poll you know that Monmouth only had about 40 percent of voters self-identifying as Republicans which is probably on the low end um, so you know look if it, the goal in Kansas is to just sort of bring the the Republican vote home, and it, it looks like they're in the process of doing that. So that's good news for conservatives. So that leaves us neutral except for the state of Georgia, which uh, right. I'm broadcasting from today. You know, I, I live there, and I will tell you, it's a very tough race. Michelle Nunn, as I've been trying to tell people for months, is a good candidate, and uh, David Perdue has yet to inspire people, and the attacks on him as kind of a job-slashing, you know, uh, heartless Romneyite to, from the 2012 model uh, seem to be working. 
Right. Uh, you know, Democrats sort of have been licking their chops for a while about Georgia, thinking that it's about to turn blue simply because of demographic shifts. Now, there's no doubt that demography in Georgia, the underlying population is shifting, but the voter population has been fairly constant over the last three cycles. And I think that if none ends up winning, it will be because not because of a massive surge in non-white voters that changes the basic composition of the electorate, but because um, she peels off enough uh, Romney, McCain, Bush voters by uh, by way of her personal background. You know, a lot of those people would have voted for her dad. A lot of those pro- people probably years ago would have even considered themselves Democrats. And also, a frankly, lackluster campaign from David Perdue, who has not given people a real reason to come out and vote for him. I think the saving grace for Republicans in this race is that there, there's a runoff in Georgia. If no candidate wins an outright majority, uh, there will be a runoff between the top two finishers on uh, January 6th, which would probably favor the Republicans simply because of demography. Um, specifically, the, the black vote would probably drop off, which is a big deal in Georgia because blacks will probably be about 29-30% of the electorate. Um, but, you know, it, it, honestly, it remains to be seen. The polling in Georgia has not been good. The, the, you, you, the best pollsters have generally avoided polling in Georgia, and there's been a lot of polling of questionable validity. And uh, so whether or not that race actually ends up going to a runoff or – I mean, it, it, the polling is so spotty there, I'm not sure what could happen. I mean, at this point – Michelle Nunn could conceivably win outright on November 6th. I doubt that um, because I think if that was a real danger, you would see the the Republican national, the the NRSC um, going in more heavily into Georgia. But in fact, they committed about $1.5 million there last week, which is about the same amount they committed to New Hampshire compared to $6 million in North Carolina. So I think that suggests that they're not worried about that because you know look 1.5 million dollars isn't going to go very far in georgia so now it's possible though at the same time it's possible they might just be behind the eight ball i mean that's not outside the realm of possibility either mccain was behind the eight ball in indiana and north carolina and heck even omaha in 2008 he lost omaha's congressional district to obama and obama picked up a electoral vote in nebraska so who knows uh, so let's say, though, that the advantage of the runoff, which, by the way, another point is that uh, there's a libertarian candidate who's going to skim a few votes off, too, and those are more likely to go to the Republican than the Democrats. So let's say that the Republicans hold those four shaky seats. What seats uh, that the Democrats should be holding do you think the Republicans will snatch away themselves? Well, you know, look, first of all, if the Republicans hold those four seats, it would be a real shock if they didn't win the majority. Just an absolute humdinger. Um, Because at that point, let's say the Republicans win those four seats. Uh, The math becomes decisively opposed to the Democrats, because then the Democrats have five seats after that that voted for McCain and for Romney that actually haven't voted voted Democrats since at least 19... 96. So that would be Louisiana and Arkansas and West Virginia and Montana and Alaska. You add those five up and that's that would be the six seats 
when you throw in South Dakota, which is currently occupied by Democrat. So that would be the six seats you'd need for a majority. And then after that, and by the way, the Republicans have polling leads in all, all six of those states. So bear that in mind. Uh, and then after that, you have seats in Colorado, where the Republicans uh, have a lead. And as, as a matter of fact, I don't think that um, uh, I, I don't think Mark Udall, the Democrat, has had a lead in any poll yet this month. The last poll he had a lead in was an internet poll done by YouGov, uh, and before that, you'd have to go all the way back to the beginning of September to find a poll with Udall in the lead. So they're in big trouble there. And interesting and to me, Jay Cost, is the number of Democrats I've talked to or heard from who are essentially conceding Colorado. And I'm going, wow, you know, the conversation turns from, yeah, 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 we're going to lose Colorado, but don't worry, we're going to get, you know, uh, South Dakota or Kansas or Georgia. Right. That's been the conversation I've been hearing. Right. Well, you know, hey, any port in a storm, right? I mean, I don't know what to say about that. You know, I, uh, to, to, to think that uh, I, I can see, I mean, look, I can envision a scenario where they, where they win, call, win Georgia but lose Colorado. Um, and that's just because of the electoral dynamics in Georgia are so peculiar. And David Perdue is just such a lackluster candidate. But, but if that look, happens, my point is, if that happens, then that puts the math essentially at neutral. In other words, the Republicans picked up a seat they weren't necessarily expecting. Yeah. The Democrats pick up a seat they weren't expecting. And so That's now right. you're back to the South Dakota, West Virginia, those states giving you the majority you need. Right. That's right. And then after that, I mean, Michael, we're not even done yet. I mean, after that, we go to Iowa, where once again, the only poll that the Democrat has led in in the last uh, you know, month and a half was an internet poll by YouGov. Before that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of September. Um, you know, Joni Ernst, who is the Republican candidate there, has a lead in the Real Clear Politics average of two and a half points. It's not an overwhelming lead by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, you know, the context here to think about this is that historically speaking, undecided voters tend to break toward the fundamentals in a race. And the fundamentals in both Iowa and Colorado are bad for Democrats because both of those states, for, for different reasons, tend to reflect the broader national political climate. And the broader national political climate is bad for Democrats. Barack Obama's job approval nationwide is at about 41%. That's it's actually probably a tad worse in Colorado and Iowa, at least among likely voters. So, you know, to see Joni Ernst at 47.3%, uh, and really, you know, just needing to pick up a handful of the undecided voters and whether or not people – look, and it, Michael, by the way, it might be a possibility at this point that people who, who get into these polls and say, oh, I'm undecided, really? are. It's been six months of nonstop ad barrages. Are you, if you're undecided at this point, are you even going to vote? I mean, the persuasion period of these campaigns might actually be over. And all of this money that's being spent between now and Election Day is just about keeping pe the other side from peeling off your voters. If that's the case, then the Republicans will probably win Iowa and Colorado. And if they hold all of their other seats, that'll give them a pickup of eight states. So let's get to uh, two problematic states, one where the Republicans should be doing better and then one where the Republicans are doing surprisingly well, North Carolina and New Hampshire. What's the story there, Jay? Well, North Carolina is, you're, you're right, by the way, North Carolina is a state that they should be doing better in. The national dynamics in North Carolina favor Republicans more than in Iowa or Colorado. 
So the fact that they're doing worse in North Carolina is a testament to the the, the weakness of their candidate, Tom Tillis, um, who has been identified with the state legislature because he's the state house speaker, and the and the state legislature has been very uh, unpopular. And Kay Hagan has flipped the dynamic in that state, whereas in places like Colorado and Iowa, it's really an, a, ref, a referendum on the president and the National Democratic Party. Hagan has tried hard to turn it into a referendum on the state Republican Party and the actions of the legislature. Now, so what does this mean? Well, it means at this point in time, again, according to Real Clear Politics, she is a lead. She doesn't have a big lead. And in fact, her lead has shrunk by about, uh, I want to say, three points in the last month or so. Uh, she was up by about five points in mid, uh, mid-September, mid to late September. Now she's up by a little over, over one point. And Jay, so, let me suggest that she may be the only U.S. senator whose seat is specifically at risk because of uh, Obama's policies in this last few weeks. People have talked about Ebola and ISIS. She missed an ISIS hearing as a in, in order to go fundraising at the wrong time to make a decision like that and i think that the north carolina republicans are using it to good advantage yeah i think that's right i think tillis has run in general a very lackluster campaign uh, i think that he has in general failed to frame the debate uh as a as a sort of an issue of Kay hagan's um unabashed liberalism which is something that should work in North Carolina. Certainly, if it's working for Cory Gardner in Colorado, it should work for Tom Tillis in North Carolina. But you're right. There have been recent events that have put Hagan in a disadvantageous position, and that her missing a hearing for a fundraiser is one. And then another one, and this is an evolving story with the kind of drip, drip, drip quality. Whether or not there's anything to it, I don't really know, but for political purposes, it doesn't matter. But that's that Kay Hagan's husband's businesses benefited from stimulus money, um, which is, you know, I mean, now. Again, it's sort of, it, was there anything illegal there? I mean, look, one of the problems with the stimulus, frankly, was that it was spending public dollars on for, you know, private purposes was one of the things that it did. And it was filled to the gills with political payoffs, and people with insider connections took enormous advantage of it. It's one reason why it was such a failure. Uh, but for Hagen's family and her husband to have collected something on the order of three hundred to $400,000 in stimulus cash... Uh, you know, it doesn't look good. It's, it doesn't look good at all. And this is something that Tillis's people are running an ad on, and then there's outside money running an ad on it. So we'll see whether or not that race could break. Um, you know, look, Hagan is at 45% in the real clear politics average. And again, you know, this is one of those situations where in a cycle like this, I would feel a lot better to be a Republican at 45% than to be a Democrat, knowing that the underlying fundamentals of the race are not in my favor. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Tom Bevan at Real Clear Politics. He mentioned we may see $100 million spent for a Senate seat in North Carolina. I've run right. campaigns in North Carolina. There's only, there, there are like about three TV stations in the state. It's crazy that kind right. of money that shows how important it is. Let's get quickly now to New Hampshire. I've been telling people for a long time that even though Scott Brown is essentially a Democrat by any standard in the United States, he's a very good candidate. He has kind of the opposite uh, effect of of uh, of say Mitt Romney, who Mitt Romney, the more he campaigned, the less people wanted to vote for him. 
Scott Brown is the kind of guy that people who don't even agree with him want to vote for him. Will his charm be enough in New Hampshire? That's a good question. Um, and, and it's one of those situations where a couple of weeks ago, everybody thought, oh, that was just, that one's not going to happen. She, he, it's too, it's too much of a hurdle. But, you know, frankly, the polls there have been tightening. There's no doubt about that. Um, Brown is down by, I think, less than three points in the most recent average. Um, you know, and so we'll see. Uh, and again, it's one of those situations where there's Jean Shaheen, she's got a lead, but she's at 47 0.8% in the real clear politics average. And Brown has been, you know, and look, by the way, if you look at the trajectory of the race, Brown has been steadily closing the gap for about, you know, five months now. And, and nobody really gave it a lot of attention, even though he was sort of steadily gaining on her. And all during this time, Michael, you know, look, Shaheen's numbers have been flat. So, she, you know, that would be one of those instances where it doesn't have, you know, it. If you have three races in a cycle like this, okay, where the out party, which is sort of has the benefit of the midterm, you know, the midterm mood of the country, the out party is down by like a point or two. You know, the out party is going to lose two of those races, but they'll win one of them. You know, that's sort of how these things right. can go, you know. So we get to election day, and you see Shaheen's only up two, and Hagen's up maybe one and a half, which is kind of where we are right now. I, I wouldn't put money on on Brown and Tillis, and I wouldn't say, oh, Brown's going to win or Tillis is going to win. But we get to the next day, and the dust settles on Wednesday, November 5th, and one of them pulled it out. I wouldn't be surprised, even in the least. The state that has you the most worried and the state that has you the most surprisingly confident two weeks out? Mm, good questions. I would say I'm most worried about Georgia. Most worried about Georgia. Uh, from a conservative standpoint, you know, Michelle Nunn is exactly, I think, one of the, pro one of the reasons uh, is the sort of candidate you know, we, why we got stuck with Obamacare which is to say all of these Democrats in these red states run as moderates, and, oh, no, I'm not with the National Party, I'm with you. And the Republicans run lousy candidates, and they let the Democrats, you know, dupe, dupe conservative voters into voting for them. And then, you know, when the time comes and the vote for Obamacare is cast, don't they all line up the same way? And that's what, you know, and this election, a lot of this election is about cleaning out People like that, people like Landrew and people like Begich and people like Pryor, who really, in my opinion, duped their voters. And to see, while we're cleaning these people out, the idea of Michelle Nunn, who would be just the same, push comes to shove, you know, she will be allowed to vote against the liberals, and then one day she won't be, and she won't, you know, to see that happen would be really disappointing. And to see it happen because of complete unforced errors on the Republican Party's fault. Uh, yeah, that would just be that would really be very unfortunate. I would be in an absolute cold sweat over that if it wasn't for the runoff. Because at this point, I would put my money on her getting a narrow victory on election day, but under fifty percent. Race I, I'm most surprisingly confident about is Colorado. Uh, didn't 
you know, like Corey Gardner and, and thought he was a good candidate. And uh, he's, he's young and he's hungry and he seems to be in touch with people there. But I just sort of thought over the summer as he was getting, you know, shellacked on the war on women, I thought, oh, that's going to fade. And it didn't. In fact, the whole thing backfired on him. You know, by the middle of September, Udall had about a four-point lead on him. And right now, Gardner's got a four-point lead on Udall. And it's a really extraordinary trajectory there. Democrats should be really worried about that race. Um, You know, just – and Udall has just – proven himself to be a dud. He's just made really unforced errors. Nothing on the, not, not, nothing, you know, gobsmacking, but just little stuff just keeps adding up when you watch him. He's one of those candidates where the more you watch him, the less you think of him. And, and so, you know, I think the Republicans are a pretty strong favorite there, at least based on the data we've seen so far. Jay Koss will check with you on Tuesday, one week out from the election, and get your final picks. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.